be seated. Romans chapter 5. Today's message is entitled, Peace with God. And if you've been with us, you know that we are going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Now, Romans is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Rome. And it's all about the gospel, which means good news. Paul spent the first few chapters sharing why we needed the gospel. And the answer is because nobody's perfect. It's because we're all sinners and we're all guilty. We all fall short. Then in chapter 4, Paul discussed how we receive the gospel. It's not something that we earn through doing enough works. It's not something we achieve by obeying law, but it's something that we receive by trusting that God will fulfill His promise. And this is His promise to us. You can read it on the screen. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's promise to us, right? His promise is that if you believe, you trust in Jesus, then He treats you like you've never sinned. We see, when we believe or trust, God will fulfill His promise. Then He credits us with righteousness. Treats us like we are perfect. And so, what does it mean to be made right with God? What does that entail? And that's what we're going to pick up today in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We read about the blessings of being justified. The blessings of being justified. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how to be justified means when God declares a guilty sinner as righteous. So us being justified doesn't mean that we're innocent. It means we're guilty, but God treats us as if we are innocent. And Paul has shown that we're justified by faith, receiving the free gift that we could never earn or be worthy of. And Paul declares, therefore, because we receive this gift by faith, because we're justified because of what God has done, therefore, we have peace with God. The idea of peace is a restoration of what was separated. You see, God created us in His image to enjoy a relationship with Him and so that we might bring glory to Him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was broken. After Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, we read in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So just imagine, they're hiding from God. They were ashamed and guilty before the pure and holy God. They didn't want to be in His presence. And notice that God calls out to them saying, Where are you? Now, help me out. Was God confused? Did He, did he lose them? No. God knows everything, right? And so when God was asking, Where are you? It wasn't for God's sake. It wasn't, he's like, where'd you guys go again? 
but it was for man's sake. God wasn't asking to find out where they were. He was asking to point out where they were. To say, Adam, look at yourself. Where are you? You're hiding. You're separated from me. Our relationship is broken because of your sin. And so, God points out this brokenness. And because God is holy and righteous, He will not let sin go unpunished. If He ignored sin, then God would no longer be a righteous judge. He would no longer be true. Therefore, because God will not let sin go unpunished, there is a coming judgment. The wrath of God, we read about it in Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read verses 11, 12, and verse 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So just to try to imagine what it might look like for the world and space to flee, try to flee from God's presence because he's that mighty and awesome. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell. Elsewhere in Scripture, hell is described as a place of outer darkness, a place of weeping, and a place of gnashing of teeth. Hell is a real place of eternal suffering and pain, including eternal separation from God. You see, once somebody is in hell, there's no repenting, there's no believing, there's no turning back. And real people go there because of their sin. In fact, we deserve to go there because of our sin. But praise the Lord, the story doesn't end there. You see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God is holy and just. That's why sinners are sent to hell. But God is also merciful and gracious, which is why Jesus went to the cross to offer the only way of salvation, the only way for our sins to be paid for and accounted for so that we can then escape hell and go to heaven. This gift is available to everyone, anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done what you have said, what you are guilty of, we're all guilty. And so the Lord invites us to trust in Him and receive His gift of salvation. And so that is why Paul declares, back in verse 1 in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, by putting our faith in, G in Jesus, we have a permanent peace with God. And if you want to take notes today, that's your first fill in the blank in your note sheet. We have a permanent peace with God. No longer are we enemies with God. No longer are we separated from God. 
Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And I just want to pause for a moment because this is kind of an amazing verse. It's saying that God the Father put all the fullness of, of Himself into God the Son. In other words, Jesus is fully God. The fullness of God in Jesus. And verse 20, by Him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, right, were separated from God because of our sin, yet now God has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. That's amazing. That God can take us broken, sinners, alienated from God, and He restores us to Himself. We've been reconciled to God. By putting our faith in Jesus, we're no longer under God's wrath, His righteous wrath, but instead we are under God's grace. But peace with God is not the only thing that Jesus gives us. Look again at verse 1 in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By putting our faith in Jesus, we have permanent access to God. That's your next fill in the blank. Permanent access to God. Access into God's presence. We can stand boldly before God's throne, before the Lord Himself. We don't sneak in. We don't earn a hearing before Him. You see, Jesus justified us. He clothes us in His righteousness. Imagine Him clothing you in His royal robes so that you can go before the King. But the royal robes don't just represent royalty, they represent holiness. Washed pure from our sin. And then Jesus places us into God's presence, God the Father's presence. It's important that we understand that this access to God is permanent. It's given at the moment of salvation. The moment we trust in Jesus, we get to be in God's presence. Nothing can separate us from that. And since our salvation was not by works, we didn't earn it, but it was by faith, we cannot lose our salvation because we had never earned it in the first place. And therefore, since our access to God was not something that we earned, but it was a gift of grace, we cannot lose access to God because we never earned it in the first place. Does that make sense? You see, there's a time where you might stumble and fall and give in the temptation. And you might feel so guilty. You might feel like you can't talk to the Lord. You might feel like you can't read the Word. You might feel like you can't go to church. I don't care about your feelings. Because... 
Jesus gives us access by His grace. He earned it. We didn't. And therefore, we can't lose that access to Him. Now, this also means that that brother or sister in Christ, that one who has let you down or disappointed you, they still have access to God. God still accepts them. Because He accepts them based on Jesus' merit, not their own, And so who are we to deny someone whom God has accepted? God does not call us to love each other based on what we deserve, but God calls us to love each other based on what He deserves. And so to me, that was just a moment to stop and look at my own heart and say, okay, Lord, thank You for Your grace for me, but do I recognize the grace that You've given others? Or do I like to hold them to what they've done and what they've said? I need to hold them to God's grace as well. And so again, through Jesus, verse 2, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By putting our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have access to God. And number three, we have hope of glory in heaven. We have hope of glory in heaven. This is looking to the future when God will give us perfect heavenly bodies and when we get to dwell in God's presence. Right now, because of our sin, Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of that glory. And yet, If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been justified. And because you've been justified in Christ, we read in Romans 8, starting in verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's adopted us. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, in heaven we will experience God's glory, God in His fullness, and God will glorify us as well. Think about this. In heaven... God is going to lift us up to be the most exalted state we could ever be in. Right? God is going to lift us up to be in the most exalted state we could ever be in, standing there before God's presence in a new eternal body. Now, don't get me wrong. I say we're exalted in the sense that He lifts us up, but we're not going to be worshipped. We don't get praise. We don't get honor. That's all for Jesus. But... He does glorify us in lifting us up into His presence. Now, back to Romans 5. Paul continues explaining the blessings of belonging to Jesus in verse 3. Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory or we rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character, and character, hope. The word translated 
tribulation. It literally means intense pressure or squeezing. Tribulation is not the annoyances and inconveniences of life. Tribulation is the stuff that stops us in our tracks. The situations that we can't handle on our own, but only with God. And Paul says that these tribulations become things we rejoice in. We do not rejoice because we are suffering, but we rejoice in our suffering because of what that suffering produces in us. Paul says that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance. You see, because tribulation makes us exercise our faith, it gets stronger. An athlete gets stronger by practice and exercise, right? A gifted artist gets better by creating more art. A Christian gets stronger by enduring tribulation. Now, I wish there was a little asterisk in our Bible that, you know, there's an easier way. There's an app for that, right? Just download this to your phone. No, there's no easier way. The way we as Christians grow, the way that we get stronger is through tribulation. Our perseverance, our endurance as believers, it produces character. And this word translated character, it literally means proven character. It proves who we are. And so the idea is that our perseverance, our endurance in the midst of our tribulation, it proves that our faith is genuine, that our faith is real. Peter says this very thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, read tribulation, squeezing, pressure. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, if we walk away from the Lord because of tribulation, then that reveals that our faith was counterfeit. It wasn't genuine. But if tribulation causes us to cling even more to God and His Word, then our faith is found to be genuine. And our faith brings glory to God. So we start with tribulation, which produces perseverance or endurance, which produces proven character, which finally produces hope. And that leads into our next verse in Romans 5, verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, hope is not positive thinking. Hope is not saying, well, my life is a mess, but I hope it's going to get better someday. That's not what the Bible is talking about. You see, biblical hope is the absolute expectation of coming eternal good. The absolute expectation of coming eternal good. Our hope is sure and it is confident because our hope is founded upon God's faithfulness in the past. Because God has fulfilled His promises in the past, both in God's Word and because He has shown Himself faithful 
personally to each of us in our lives, we can trust that His future promises will be sure. That we can trust that He will bring them to pass. Just the fact that He went to the cross for us is enough for you and I to trust God will fulfill His promises. Because look at what He's already done for you and for me and the whole world. And so when we go through tribulations, our hope of heaven, our hope of eternal life, our hope of being in the presence of God forever, that hope grows stronger. Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith chapter because it lists many different saints in the Old Testament and how they each trusted God to fulfill His promise to them. Abraham was one of them. Abraham was the one whom God promised in his old age would become a father. Not just a father, but the father of a great nation with too many descendants to count. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Verse 16, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Here's what this passage is saying. God promised Abraham would have a son and that his descendants would grow to become so many that it was like the stars of the sky or like the sands of the sea. Too many to count. And yet Abraham had his son, Isaac. He got to raise his son. But he did not get to see the fulfillment of the rest of that promise. Abraham didn't get to see his descendants grow exponentially. But Abraham believed that God would fulfill it. And Abraham looked to heaven for his hope, not to this earth, not to the temporary. And so Abraham teaches you and me, Abraham teaches us that living by faith, having hope is easier when we remember that this world is not our home, we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. It's temporary. And when we remember that on this side of eternity, not everything is settled and not every wrong is made right. If we can remember that this is not our home and that right now not everything is settled, not every wrong has been righted, then we will have an easier time having faith like Abraham an easier time having faith in the midst of tribulation. Now, for the remainder of our time today, I want to take a practical look at how to build hope amidst tribulation. What does this practically look like? What are some steps that we can take to make sure that we grow in our faith instead of suffer in our faith when that squeezing and that pressure of life comes? Because whether we grow stronger or weaker in our faith, it depends on how we respond. 
Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your job is threatening to throw you out. Maybe your health is suffering. Maybe you're doing great right now. But you need to take notes for when the tribulation does come. I want us to start with this truth. No matter what form that tribulation comes in, let's start with this. Remember that God doesn't cause suffering, but He does allow it. God doesn't cause suffering, but He does allow it. And that's a big difference. You see, God is sovereign. That means He has absolute control and authority and that He will accomplish His purposes. He is in control. But God's sovereignty does not mean that He causes our suffering. The greatest example of this is Jesus going to the cross. You see, God did not force Judas to betray Jesus and hand him over to the Pharisees. God did not force the Pharisees to plot Jesus' death. God did not force Pilate to give into political pressure and say, okay, take Jesus away and crucify him. I don't know why. I found no fault in him, but you guys do what you want because you've pressured me enough. But God did allow those things to happen. And God used those things for His purpose and for His glory. God used all those horrible, awful, sinful choices to bring about our salvation. That is God's sovereignty. But it doesn't mean that God caused the suffering directly. Do you see the difference there? And that's important. Because God doesn't cause your suffering or my suffering. The truth is, we live in a fallen world among sinners. God didn't cause that to happen, but He did allow it. He gave Adam and Eve free will. He gives you and me free will. He gives that crazy guy on the highway free will. It's kind of scary. Now, we call it God's permissive will. God permits it, but He doesn't prefer it. But there is coming a day where God will permit no more. God will establish His kingdom. God will bring heaven to earth and dwell among us forever as our Savior and as our King. And in that day, God will only permit what He prefers. God is going to rule and reign. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But He hasn't come back yet. Because He's waiting for more people to trust in Him, to repent from their sin and believe in Him as their Lord and their Savior. Now, this idea of God coming back and establishing His throne, it brings us to our next way that we build hope amidst tribulation. It's make sure that you are saved. Make sure that you are saved. Remember Paul's whole list of blessings in Romans chapter 5 it started with our being justified by putting our faith in Jesus. It starts with our being justified. If you haven't trusted in Jesus and His promise to save you, then you don't have peace with God. You're still alienated from God. You're still under His wrath. You don't have access to God. You're separated. And you don't have any hope. Apart from Jesus... We don't have hope. If you are not a Christian, this life 
even with the tribulation and pressures that we experience, this life becomes the closest thing to heaven we will ever experience if we're not a Christian. But God invites you now, today, to repent, to change your mind about your choices, about your sin, and to say, you know what? This is evil. It is deserving of judgment. And to repent, change your mind about who Jesus is. To recognize Jesus isn't just a moral teacher. Jesus isn't just a baby in a manger. But He is the payment for my sin. He is my Savior and my Lord. And when you trust in Him, and you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, not because you were good, but because Jesus paid for you. Jesus says, you're justified. And all of a sudden, He turns all those things around. All of a sudden, you get to inherit all of these blessings. You have peace with God. You have access to God. You have the hope of glory. And you even have the hope that the tribulation you experience now is going to bring you blessing as God makes you more and more like Him as God brings glory to Himself in the midst of your tribulation. You see, for us Christians, if we believe in Jesus, then this life becomes the closest thing we'll ever experience to hell. Praise the Lord. There is genuine suffering, there is genuine pain and genuine hurt that we will experience in this life. But if we're a believer in Christ, it's as bad as it'll get. And it is temporary. Remember, I'll read it again where Paul said in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul doesn't say that we love suffering. Paul does not say God wants us to suffer. But Paul says that the sufferings of this life, as bad as they can be, are nothing compared to the glory we will have in heaven with Jesus. This brings us to our next step in building hope. Your next fill in the blank. Don't doubt God's love. The only true measure of God's love is the cross, not your circumstances. The only true measure of God's love is the cross, not your circumstances. May we remember that Satan loves to tempt us into doubt. Satan wants us to judge based on how we feel right now, rather than judge based on God's promises in eternity. We remember in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, Satan came to Eve and he said, did God really say you can't eat of any of these trees? There was only one, right? But the way that Satan worded it, did God really say you can't eat of any of this? Boy, it really sounds like God's holding out on you. I mean, are you sure that he loves you? Because all these trees look delicious, especially this one, right? If God loved you, he wouldn't say no to you. He wouldn't hold back on you. And yet, for us today, it's, it's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's sin. It's, it's sex outside of marriage. It's standing up in pride. 
It's using our words to hurt instead of build up. It's rebelling against Jesus. And we can believe in that moment the lies of Satan that say, you know what? If God really loved me, I would have got that raise. If God really loved me, then that person wouldn't have wronged me. If God really loved me, then that marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. And yet, that's just the enemy, tempting us to doubt God's love for us. God proved his love on the cross, and that settles it. In the Old Testament, David, you know, David and Goliath, that David, he found himself living in caves and in the wilderness, running from his life from his crazy king, King Saul. God didn't make Saul crazy and murderous, but God did use that situation in David's life. David writes in Psalm 63, starting in verse 1, it says, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, a.k.a. in the wilderness running for his life. He says, O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. David knew that his circumstances did not change God's love for him. And David also knew his hope was in knowing God, having a relationship with God. His hope was not an earthly blessing. David's understanding helped him praise and worship God in the midst of tribulation. Here's another way that Satan tries to trip us up in the midst of tribulation. It's with sin. You see, every trial or hardship calls for the same response. Obedience. Every trial or hardship calls for the same response. Obedience. No matter what we're facing, God calls us to continue obeying His Word. Abraham had a great-grandson named Joseph. Joseph's eleven brothers, they despised him, so that they sold him into slavery and they convinced their dad that Joseph had been tragically killed by a wild animal. As a slave, Joseph was a faithful servant, and he rose to the top position in his master's house. But when his master's wife brought her sexual advances onto Joseph, we read in Genesis chapter 39 verse 12 that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. Joseph ran away so fast he forgot his clothes. He got out of there. And he ran away rather than commit sin and adultery. And because of Joseph's obedience to God, because Joseph obeyed God instead of what he wanted or what others wanted him to do, Joseph's situation got worse. You see, that woman caught standing there with his clothes said, you know what, that guy tried to rape me. That's what happened. Look, I've got his clothes to prove it. And so they threw him in prison for years. Joseph's circumstances got worse because of his obedience. You see, we don't obey God so that our life gets better. We obey God because that's His command. He will reward us in heaven 
But that's where our hope is. It's in heaven, in eternity. Our hope is not in this life. Here's the next one. Let the body be the body. Let the body be the body. God calls His church the body of Christ. If we fail to open up and share our hardships with others, then the body of Christ can't support you. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, being the body of Christ doesn't mean that we fix each other's problems. It means that we ride through the storm together. One of the best ways to get connected to the body and build these relationships is by joining a life group. A life group is a group of 10 to 16 people who will meet every week to study God's Word and hang out and fellowship and pray together. And three weeks from today, we're going to start sign-ups for our next session of life groups. And I encourage you, don't delay. Don't put off signing up. Because when the tribulation hits, it's really hard to establish those connections and to have those people around us to support us when we're already in the midst of the storm. Maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't need that. I'm good. Well, please join a life group because we need your help, right? God wants to use you to support others. We're the body of Christ. And so be that body. Here's the last one. Focus on your blessings. Focus on your blessings. In other words, we might say, give thanks for all that you can. This is more than simply a good practice. This is a command in Scripture. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes we might wonder, what is God's will for my life? It's right there. There's, that's it. And part of that will that God has for you and for me is to give thanks. Now again, you don't need to be thankful that you are suffering, but you are thankful for all of God's grace and His mercy and His love despite your suffering. When we focus on giving thanks, we focus on our blessings, we protect ourselves from growing bitter. And we, are, we stay reminded of God's grace in us, which His grace is where it all began, right? That's where we all started. The fact that God loved us so much that He willingly endured tribulation, that He came down and endured the painful, humiliating death on a cross for us, so that any who would put their faith in Him would be saved, would have the hope of eternal life and be welcomed into heaven for all eternity. Let's finish with this verse in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is speaking and He said, These things I have spoken to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him to give you eternal life by believing in Him? 
Will you trust Him with your current situation? Will you trust Him with tomorrow's troubles? He is faithful and able to not only get us through it, but He is faithful and able to use those tribulations for His glory and for yours. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much. Thank You that You loved us enough in that while we were still sinners, Lord, You didn't wait for us to change our life. You didn't wait for us to fix our problems. But Lord, in the midst of our rebellion from You, Lord, You came down and You lived a perfect sinless life. Lord, You suffered and died on the cross in our place, taking our sin upon Your shoulders and paying our debt. And Lord, You rose again three days later, conquering death, conquering the grave, and bringing in a new promise that anyone who believes in You would not go to hell, would not suffer for all eternity, but have everlasting life in You. Lord, thank You that You loved us. Thank You that You still love us. And Lord, if there's anybody here today or listening online that has not yet trusted in You as their Lord and their Savior, then Lord, they are missing out and they are in danger of eternal separation and suffering. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would invite them now to pray to You from their heart right now and just say, Lord, I know that I deserve judgment and I am guilty. Lord, thank You for paying my debt. Thank You for saving me. Lord, would You fill me with Your Spirit and change me from the inside out. Lord, for all of us, we pray for Your mercy and grace. Whether we are in tribulation now or headed in the tribulation tomorrow. God, we thank You that it is temporary. We thank You that You have experienced it. And we thank You that You've promised us eternal hope. God, we pray that You would glorify Your name in our lives, through our lives. And Lord, would You bring more people to come and put their faith in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. I search the world Do you believe that? Amen. Jesus was praying to the Father and He said, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. To know God, to have a relationship with Him. Praise the Lord. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive, and it's yours. If we can pray for you, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. Otherwise, say hi to somebody else on your way out and have a great rest of your day. God bless.